Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsman, and in this episode I chat to Philip Harper, the musical director of Cory Band. Philip discusses the 2021 Capital Cory Online Brass Band Championship, which is welcoming bands from around the world. He also reflects on news that he's to receive the prestigious Isles Medal and looks at the star-studded list of recipients of that award. Philip discusses the effects of the pandemic on the brass band world and speaks honestly about its implications for Cory Band. He reflects on almost nine years with the world's number one ranked band and dares to look to the future, including contemplating the idea of travelling with the band in a post-pandemic, post-Brexit world. But first, what has he made of the Cody Online Championship so far? I mean, the first thing to say is that we've had, uh, I think, 34 bands so far in Section 2 and Section 4. I've just got to take my hat off to all the bands that have put themselves up for this. I mean, we we put the contest out there kind of as a something which we hope would provide some motivation for bands and give them a, you know, a reason to keep going during the lockdown but nonetheless it still takes some real kind of commitment and bravery to actually submit an entry and send it in and I think we're finding you know there's a real steep learning curve in terms of the technology so the bands the bands that we heard and saw were just remarkable fantastic all of them each in their own way I mean some were literally kind of you know knocked our socks off in every respect really performance-wise, visual presentation, the use of technology, um, and some great creative programming, storytelling, uh, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but others, and we you know we've had lots of positive messages from from bands who were just happy to happy to take part really and learn some of the basics of of, of new skills. So yeah, it was it was it was great to just see so many bands um, having such a good time uh, and and you know still making music even in this slightly compromised way in terms of the individual experience but um you know in terms of the in terms of the viewing experience i think in, in some ways it's enhanced from, from the products we normally get in a normal band contest so yeah lot, lots of uh, lots of talking points there's been some wonderful music making on display so far philip i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't ask about a situation that came to light during the second section competition just so everyone's clear a comment was made during the live feedback from an adjudicator it's a comment which shouldn't have been made and that's something the band made clear quickly and you expanded upon that at the start of the fourth section contest do you have any other comments to make on that situation? Well, yes. I mean, obviously, I'd like to acknowledge it because it did happen. And I guess that's, you know, one of the risks of putting out instantaneously live sessions, which we are doing and, and we're still committed to doing. And sometimes things get said which, you know, immediately need a retraction, which which we have done, as, as you've said. And I, there's no harm in me repeating my uh, apology from the band for that. And I agree with you. It's has no place in any conversation really the, the the idea of kind of diversity and inclusion in brass banding is not is not a new one and it's actually something that we've been thinking about at Corey for for quite a long time if, if anything good can come from the sort of regrettable incident in the contest then uh, I really think it's brought it right at the top of our inbox in Corian and we're, we're determined to kind of take a take a lead on this really like I say it's a, it's an area which should concern all of us particularly with brass bands i think you know it's been such a male dominated area particularly in the uk even i mean i'm i'm in my mid 40s now sorry late 40s now get getting older every year of course um but even when i was starting it, it, my career in brass bands when i was in my early 20s there was still i mean the, one of the bands i played for just had a no women rule in the band so i think even in recent history you know this has been an, this has been an issue and obviously something which is developing all the time and we're, we're thinking of ways now at Corey um where we can much more kind of proactively take the lead in um showing bands the way forward i i, I don't think the comment that was made was representative of of any any aspect of what happens in the Corey band really and I think everyone uh, at Corey is you know kind of satisfied that, that there's a positive environment in which we make music 
but having said that, uh, it's really important that all organisations such as ours kind of address these issues to make ourselves fit for the 21st century, really, because it is, it's becoming more and more um, important. We've seen it uh, in the news, particularly all in the last week, which obviously made things very much more sensitive. It was International Women's Day last week as well. So all of these things are kind of, you know, spurring us on. Uh, and we've got some we've got some very positive new initiatives um, just on the drawing board now, which we hope uh, we can announce real soon. So, yeah, if, if anything good is to come from, you know, what was a, a regrettable situation, then uh, I hope we can we can demonstrate what that is at Corey Band. And I think as you touched upon yourself, Philip, matters of equality and diversity and so on are not new issues and shouldn't be new issues and should be issues that brass bands generally are focusing on as part of their ongoing efforts. But let's just get back just now then to the music making and the online championship. The brief for the contest gave bands something close to a blank canvas on which to build their programmes. What have you made of what bands have done with that and the innovation and the creativity on display. As a creator myself, I know this kind of double-edged sword of a blank canvas. Sometimes when you're given, you know, free reign and literally no starting point whatsoever, it can be very liberating. But sometimes we've all sat there, you know, trying to maybe remember our university days, trying to write an essay and just seeing the blank screen in front of us and thinking, oh, no, well, what, what's the first word even going to be? Um, but having said that, I mean, the bands that kind of took hold of that opportunity brought us something really really quite special i mean we basically gave them 10 minutes so that that was the only restriction we gave them and then of course you've got the added element of the video editing you know you can add titles you can add visuals you can edit together things in certain ways and show certain images at certain times uh, I mean, the sky's the limit, really. So um, that's a new skill which bands have had to learn in the last year. And the ones that have learned well, uh, you know, have such a uh, such a chance to make it's that emotional impact, really, uh, as opposed to anything else. So that's that's really what I would say. The bands that made the most of that blank canvas were able to achieve. There have obviously been concerns about what the future might look like for brass bands after the enforced break of the past year. Does what you've seen so far in the competition give you some grounds for optimism? Yes, I mean, I'm I'm sort of naturally an optimistic person, I think. But, you know, to see so many bands, like I say, th we had 34 bands here this weekend and we've got dozens and dozens more to come in the next two weekends, plus... We had engagement of about a thousand uh, viewers on each of the first two nights, or rather, I should say, a thousand logins. So, you know, if there were more than one person behind a screen, then you probably got several thousand people engaging from this, from an audience point of view. I mean, when you look at those figures, I mean, you wouldn't expect any other contest in the world, especially a second section or fourth section contest, with the greatest of respect, to have thousands and thousands of viewers, would you? So, all, I mean, all of these things just give. I think grounds for optimism, uh, and certainly the bands that are involved are really having to address the um, the issue of how to present themselves, which I think you know prior to the pandemic was actually one of the biggest issues facing brass bands was how how do you actually market and sell yourself in a way which is going to be kind of attractive and relevant to to what people want to you know want to be involved with in the 21st century so the, the the current situation of having to do video performances is certainly focuses the mind on that 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 aspect doesn't it how to how to present yourself and hopefully those are skills which you know we can all learn from and bands can take forward and attract more people to their physical concerts by doing more dynamic adverts online uh, or indeed continue offering these uh, online presentations as well, which, as I've already said, offer particular opportunities to develop things in a way which live performance can't. Well, it's been really exciting so far, and we wish you well as the online championship continues over the coming weeks. But for now, congratulations are in order for you, Philip, after it was recently announced that you're to receive the Isles Medal for your significant contribution to the brass band movement. What was your reaction when you heard that wonderful news? <laughs> I was firstly very honoured 
uh, and I heard the news a couple of weeks before it was announced. And um, it was it was out it was out of the blue. Obviously, you know, I I know all about the um, the Isles Medal, and I've seen so many you know worthy winners in the past. But I guess I haven't really ever associated myself with kind of being being on that level before. So I was definitely kind of surprised to receive it. But the, but the really humbling thing was when they when they emailed me to tell me there was a really nice kind of official letter, and then the other attachment was a list of previous winners. And when you peruse the list of previous winners and realize kind of what company you're stepping into, that's the really humbling moment. But the, I mean, the thing for me is I count myself as really lucky anyway, because I'm involved with brass bands, which is something I'm really passionate about. Uh, you know, I love my banding. If it wasn't my job, it would be something I was doing anyway. I'm very honored. And you're right to say you join this star-studied list of recipients of the medal. Mm. And of course, it was established in 1947 by John Henry Isles, a former editor of this publication and someone who himself made a huge contribution to the world of brass bands. Have you had any time yet just to look down that list and go, blimey, and reflect on the significance of it? I am the first in my family to be involved in brass bands. In fact, no one in my family immediately before me was musical at all. So it's I've always thought it's quite strange that I've kind of ended up where I have, not, not just in music, which is, you know, bucking the family sort of non-tradition, if you like, but in in this particular niche of music, which is extremely specialist. But having said that, when when I did get into it in my early teens, I was really into it. And, um, you know, names like Harry Mortimer and, um, you know, I was lucky enough to work a lot with people like Roy Newsom and uh, James Scott, who um, sadly has recently passed away. But all of these famous names from the past were the names that I kind of grew up with in my youth as being the, you know, the sort of Alex Ferguson's and the Pele's and what have you of the brass band world, which was which was a new world to me. So these kind of iconic figures. And, uh, you know, to think that in future years, that message is going to be out going out with the list of previous winners and and my name is amongst them is I may have to pinch myself really just to uh, just to kind of track my own journey from my early teens to, to where I am now. And joining you in being recognised this year is Stephen Mead, that wonderful euphonium Mm. player and educator. He's receiving the Mortimer Medal for his work in fostering new generations of brass band musicians. What do you make of Stephen's news, joining you as one of the award recipients this year? Oh, I'm delighted. I mean, as you as you know, I've been working closely with Stephen over the last year, really, as part of the presenting team for the Besson Fridays at Home uh, program, which is which goes out every couple of weeks on a Friday night. So, I, I've been in close contact with Steve a lot recently. I'm delighted he's got the award. Really, I mean, he's he is like a phenomenon, Steve. I mean, before the pandemic, obviously, but he's extremely well travelled. He he takes the message of um, brass playing, brass bands, particularly low brass and euphonia, of course. He takes it all over the world. I mean, there's virtually not a corner of the world that he hasn't been to um, sharing his music making with all generations, young and old. What a deserving recipient for, for that award. I'm really delighted for him. Well, let's now look back on this past year. When it became clear that everything was being put on hold and we were entering lockdown, clearly we had to put things into perspective. We were after all, in the midst of a global pandemic. But that doesn't make it any easier for people who will have really missed their banding at whatever level. And there have been concerns about the effect for years to come on bands and on players. What about you with your band, Philip? Have you had any worries or concerns over the past year like everybody else? I mean, the first thing I'll say is that at Corey, yes, we are a brass band like everyone else. So in in that sense, you know, we are a group of 30 people who uh, love coming together and making music. And in that sense, we're absolutely no different whatsoever to any other band in the country. And therefore, because obviously the cost of the pandemic is very much a human cost, I'm sure we will, you know, we will have some issues to overcome. I mean, like most bands at the moment, I guess we're looking at the next four or five months and thinking, what can we plan? What can we actually, you know, start putting in the diary? Because once... I think once things start going into the diary as kind of real engagements or rehearsals or, you know, whatever, park jobs outside rehearsals, 
as soon as they start going into the diary as real things, then obviously the, the, the hypothetical situation has changed. Reality bites, and then you know we'll we'll be able to find out what the band sounds like when we get back together again. For example, I'm sort of expecting to have to tell some of them which which end to blow down, and just a quick <laughs> reminder. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the the immediate future, the short term future, is definitely full of um, a few anxieties for all of us, I'm sure, and and lots of kind of question marks uh and 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 details to fill in but you know i'm hopeful after we get over this short-term period of you know maybe the next six months for example that we can start getting our feet firmly back on the road again and start accelerating back to um the kind of level of banding that that we were experiencing before the pandemic i'm you know like i said earlier i'm an optimistic person so i retain my hope for that to happen in the in the midterm and stretch into the long term. From the distance banding videos to the competitions and various other projects Corey has been leading on, it's clear that the band has remained active, albeit in a different way. Was that something that you were very conscious of, that you wanted to keep the band working and progressing? Oh yeah, super conscious. Immediately super conscious of that as well. Um, I can remember on the Monday night, I was due to go out to rehearsal, normal rehearsal. It was probably about a year ago to the day, I would have thought, actually. I, I had my shoes on, actually, to go out the door. My briefcase was packed. And it was then that Boris Johnson did his press conference where he basically said, look, we're shutting the country down. It was so sudden. It was literally within the next hours after that that I realised something needed to be put in place to keep the band motivated together. But, but also I sort of realised that Corey were in a position to kind of lead and inspire other bands uh, to keep going as well. I mean, at that time, we had no idea how long this was going to last. And I have to say, you know, it's the longer it goes on, the more difficult it is to sustain it because, you know, people are just kind of fatigued with the whole thing, really, aren't they? So the first distance video we did, which we launched about a week or two after the lockdown, once we sort of worked out the basics of the technology, it was a revelation, really. We got so much interest from that very first video, not an exaggeration to say millions of views around the world, you know, loads of high-profile high uh, coverage on the BBC and um, ITN News and that sort of thing. And yeah, we've basically just kind of been keeping that up uh, since then, basically, and releasing new distance videos every once in a while. We've done quite a few educational events online, virtual workshops, youth workshops. And then, of course, as you've already highlighted, we've got our online competition, which we're now doing the second the second iteration of so we've been busy but um you know i would be lying if i um said to you that we weren't massively looking forward to getting back in person to actually doing some live music making that's what we all want isn't it and as we've already discussed we've seen bands in many respects following your lead and bands around the world finding new ways of engaging with their audiences and even reaching new audiences and that does offer at least some encouragement during what's been a very difficult time. To what extent, Philip, do you think this year, though, will have a lasting effect on how bands do engage? I know you started to touch on this earlier. Clearly, there'll be delight when we can all burst into the band rooms and we can all go and enjoy live, in-person music making. But expanding a band's digital reach and output surely seems to make sense, even beyond the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like um, some of the issues we were talking about earlier, this is an issue which we we, we had on our table at Corey before the pandemic uh, thinking that there's this relatively new uh, kind of area out there, online, digital, uh, social media, whatever you want to call it, that us brass bands really need to kind of tap into and get a handle on uh, to use to our advantage as we're kind of promoting our actual concerts in concert halls, which is which is going to be our bread and butter. We were we're fortunate in Corey Band just to have uh, in our percussion section a guy called Ali Woodman who who kind of works in this area in his professional day job. I mean, without him, really, we wouldn't have been able to achieve what we have done in lockdown. H having said that, we're we're really keen for other bands to be able to kind of learn from our experiences. What we've tried to do is. Uh, address as wide an audience as possible. Our music making online has not just been for the brass band world, which is a which is a very narrow kind of niche focused world. We we are much more um, concerned to be kind of outward looking, 
And so, for example, all of the pieces of music that we've chosen for our virtual performances are pretty, pretty well-known pieces of music that the man or woman on the street would be able to recognise and engage with, M mainly kind of up-tempo, bright, bright kind of things. And that's been ex very, very deliberate so that we can um, kind of reach as wide an audience as possible. And, you know, Ali will teach us little tricks like, you know, you've got to have an impact in the first sort of five, 10 seconds of any video. Otherwise people will just scroll on through and, and they'll turn off. So, you know, no long lengthy spoken introductions or anything like that. Something that's got to grab you right from the word go. Keep things um, short, uh, you know, anything over above two or three minutes and, and people aren't are not going to engage with it. So little things, simple things, but little things, really important things. It's difficult to quantify kind of how much impact these things are happening apart from things like um, Facebook likes, which I, it was probably a bit of a crude measure. But I think since the start of the pandemic, we have over doubled the amount of Facebook likes we've had. Uh, and all of our videos are now, I think, approaching 5 million views altogether, which, and, and the, I mean, these numbers are things you can quantify. And I think it's safe to say that pre-pandemic, you know, if someone had said to us in March last year, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to have 5 million people engaging and viewing Corey Band in the next year, would have been like, how on earth are we going to achieve this? And then the pandemic strikes, we're locked down. And lo and behold, with Ali's help and direction, it's something we've achieved. But you know, we, we're really keen to share this kind of knowledge and share our experiences and so, so that as many bands as possible can benefit from this. And you're just to, sorry to ramble on, but just to go back to your question, you were, you were saying about how important it is for all bands to uh, address this. And I think a lot of bands now are doing so. It really helps if you can get advice and experience of someone like we've got in Ali. If you haven't got someone in your band, then, you know, maybe someone's married to someone who has these skills, or maybe someone someone has these skills in a family member, or maybe, you know, you know the bloke next door or something like that. So it's, I think it's really important for bands to take this opportunity to find someone who knows what they're doing in the digital arena. And yeah, continue to make these videos, even if they're, I mean, we'd already started doing it uh, sort of about a year before the pandemic. We started doing video trailers for our concerts just short little 30 second 45 second little um, intros but something you know with a lot of impact which people would look at straight away and go oh yeah that looks good I think I'll I'll buy a ticket to that concert that's what we want at the end of the day isn't it of course it is yeah and we hope that this upskilling which we've seen and all had to undertake over the past year will be something that can benefit and be a little bit of a positive legacy as we look forward to the future. Well, let's turn now, Philip, to more innocent times before COVID-19 was even on our radar. And that brings us to your piece of the podcast. Tell me a little bit about why you've chosen this work. <laughs> More innocent times. Yeah, I like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've chosen a piece which was composed by my alter ego, Paul Raphael, uh, which was the piece which Corey won the Europeans with in 2019. And I, it's so difficult for me to avoid saying last year, because it feels like last year, but it was actually two years ago now in 2019. The performance of, uh, of this piece was absolutely spectacular, as it often is with Corey on the contest platform. But um, the context of, of this particular particular piece, as most of your listeners will probably know, uh, I composed a piece under the pseudonym Paul Raphael called Destination Moon back in 2017, I think it was. It was the, it was always going to be the first of two pieces, uh, and the second piece then Explorers on the Moon. They're, they're both based on um, stories uh, by the Belgian author Hergé. Um, in uh, centered around uh, the detective, the young detective Tintin. And so Explorers on the Moon was always going to be the sequel. And um, I wanted to coincide it with the 50 year anniversary of the first moon landings, which we did, which were in uh, 1969, of course, as well. So that was the context for composing the piece. But then the context of the performance um, was, uh, again, most of your um, listeners will know that the European contest is held over two days. So we played the set test piece on Friday and it was, um, a really interesting piece called Dear Cassandra by Ludwig Neuror, the Swiss composer. In some areas, quite an experimental piece. And after the contest had happened on the Friday night, no one really knew which bands were kind of in with a shout or not. It was a very very kind of subjective experience because there was so much room for interpretation in the score. So <laughs> we, we didn't really have any idea 
how we'd done on the Friday at all. As it turns out, we we were in fourth position. So fourth position is not going to be good enough on the first day to to then win the overall title. But we we did we played uh, on the own choice piece, which was this Explorers on the Moon. We played really as if our lives depended upon it. <laughs> Corey is usually totally committed to every performance, but I felt such a level of commitment to the performance on this particular occasion, bound in with the fact that I'd composed the piece myself and I'd, I'd tailored it specifically to the band. So it was a piece which I knew every, every player had a part in front of them that they could really excel at. And the band really came together. They pulled, they pulled it off big time. And uh, yeah, there's the sort of feeling of joy and ecstasy and relief and everything all bundled in together at the end of the performance is, is, you know, one of the reasons I think that we all take part in this in this kind of intense and high pressure hobby. So, yeah, it was the performance that for 2019 kind of really, really had it all. Well, let's revisit that magical musical moment and listen to the sound of Cody Band performing Paul Raphael, Philip Harper's Explorers on the Moon.
Sound of Cory Band, a recording of its victorious performance from the 2019 European Brass Band Championship, performing Explorers on the Moon, that music by a certain Paul Raphael. Conducting and indeed choosing that as his piece of the podcast was my guest today, Philip Harper. Philip, that's a second year without the Euros in your diary because of the pandemic, If nothing else, perhaps it's saving you having to get on your bike and undertake some intense fundraising activities on two wheels. But how much are you and the band missing taking to the stage in that prestigious contest? Oh, very much. Uh, I mean, the the Europeans is a bit of a double-edged sword for us. The band has been involved uh, in successive Europeans for something like 17 or 18 years now, which is is an absolute honour and a privilege. And... I think if you asked any members of the Corey band, what's your favourite gig of the year? They'd probably say the European. It's just, you know, right at the very, very top level. 
But having said that, if you asked our treasurer, what's your favourite gig of the year? He's he's going to have the European right at the bottom of his list because it just costs so much money. And it would cost us probably about £20,000 every year on average to do the European, which is quite a lot to spend on a single weekend. We then spend the next 51 weeks trying to work out how to pay for it. I think that sort of explains why I called it a double-edged sword but at the end of the day it's an event that we love being involved with we've really missed it i mean the experience i told you about earlier with my shoes on ready to go to rehearsal i mean i had the rehearsal was planned as a rehearsal to prepare for the euros very intensive rehearsal i had planned and i knew that some people were absolutely loving that process you know studying a piece in great detail all, all with this kind of big 15 minutes of performance uh, kind of aiming for that at the end of the day it's just it's just a process which everyone including myself absolutely loves so yeah not not to have it for two years in a row is um yeah a bit of a blow to take really but um you know we're really pleased to hear that it's scheduled to take place in england in birmingham in 2022 uh and something that uh, we'd be really looking forward to it is clearly such a significant outlay in just getting to the contest. Hopefully not quite so much of an outlay for you when it comes to Birmingham. But how do you and the band view the situation? Is it simply that if the band qualifies, and as you say, it's been such a regular attender in recent years, you just have to get there? Even the, even the treasurer would probably look forward to the European in Birmingham. <laughs> that, that does make a big, big difference. I think talking personally at the, for the moment in my role as musical director, I would take the approach that what, whatever the case, if qualified, Corey would have to get to the Europeans. But I think, you know, the real reality of life and particularly post pandemic life would mean that I can certainly foresee a situation where we would look at, you know, a future proposal and just think it's just unaffordable and just it's just unrealistic. And it would it would actually be endangering the existence of the band, really, to um, to push it too far. There, there have been several years in the past where it's been right down to the wire as to whether we've been able to kind of say say yes or not. I mean, Corey Band is not sponsored and hasn't been for many, many years. Uh, and so we just have to try and raise the funds uh, ourselves, really. If we were going every every three or four years, then that might be doable without too much trouble. Um, but going every single year uh, definitely causes us a bit of a headache in that respect. Although, like I say, we'd, we'd much rather be involved than than not involved. That's for sure. So it's it's a it's a good it's a really good question, and it's a really difficult answer. This issue of travel, it's a real area of uncertainty at the moment, not just because of the pandemic, but because of Brexit, of course. I know you've been involved in discussions on the subject. What's your reading of the implications for bands going on their travels, whether to the Europeans, on a tour, whatever it happens to be in this post-Brexit world? You, you hit the nail on the head in, your, in the framing of your question, really. That it's just completely uncertain. No, nobody knows. It seems pretty clear that going into Europe is not going to be uh, as simple as it was before. I mean, from our point of view at Corey, we used to go into Europe probably three or four times a year. Once maybe to do the European competition, but other times to do to do concerts and uh, what have you as well. Uh, we've we've no idea how that will be affected. I mean, fortunately, the promoters are still interested in having us, but of course, until they actually put costings on the exercise um then it's there's just no no way of knowing but i think more importantly and more relevantly i mean when you think of the number of bands that maybe as a summer project go into europe to do a tour and particularly if you then look more to the grassroots at particularly school groups and school bands and broaden it out to even school choirs and community choirs and what have you all of them would at some point want I think their members would want to go and tour Europe. It's one of the great sort of joys of being involved in community music making, isn't it? Is taking your music and taking it elsewhere, specifically to another country. So I think it's an issue which is going to uh, affect all of us, really. I mean, I think my, you know, my views on Brexit are pretty well known, and um, you know, this is just one example of 
why I just think it's an absolute policy of self-harm, really. I just, you know, I can't under... Every effort we make to make this red tape, lessen the red tape uh, and bring down the costs is one step towards something which we had before. You know, the policy of Brexit has made things a lot worse. And the best we can hope for is incremental steps back to the position we were in before the craziness descended on the country. But there, there we are. I know other views are available, but I'm pretty clear on that. Philip, you'll have been with Cory Band for nine years later this year. There's been so much success in that time and the band has really demonstrated tremendous versatility, equally comfortable in a test piece environment, putting on a show for the audience or creating great recordings. How do you reflect upon life at Corey so far? Well, the, I mean, the last year has been frustrating, to say the least, because we were really going in a, in a good direction, I thought. So I, I hope we can pick that up for a start. And I'm sure we will, we, we will um, be able to do that. And I know to a certain extent that depends on, uh, you know, how, how keenly I continue to drive it. And, I'm, and believe me, I'm extremely keen to continue to drive it. Uh, over and above the pandemic, I mean, looking back over those first eight years when we were able to uh, perform in person, I mean, it's just it's been one of the joys of my life, really, to be involved with the Corey Band because I, I came into brass banding kind of late, there was no family connection. So it was in my early teens, I, I came into brass banding uh, and I, I came in in a fourth section band. I was with a lower section band for the first 10 years of my banding life before I came to university uh, and got involved in the top section for the first time, really, in my sort of early 20s. Coming through then to Corey Band uh, eight, nine years ago, I, I could see straight away I was coming into an organisation which was like nothing I had ever experienced before. I mean, just everything about Corey Band just is is all about quality. It's about um, striving to be the best, not and not just musically, but in other areas as well. Like you know, we were talking about um, the issues brought to a head regarding inclusion as well, and it's just there's a feeling amongst the right across the entire band. I know in all the members that we want to be the ones that are actually le leading a, a way out of this. So it's not just not just in musical respects as well. It's just something that you feel runs in the right through the blood veins of the entire organisation, really. And once you're in it, it's so addictive to be part of some some organisation that has kind of success right at the heart of its uh, of its ethos addictive yeah that was the word i used wasn't it quite a good word I, I really do find it like that it's the majority of my job i i'm a freelance musician but about 60 70 percent of what i do is corey band and i have absolutely no trouble getting out of bed every morning i'm totally motivated and focused on it and i think that's because of the organization itself really what it stands for the history um, the achievements of the band. There's just something palpable there. I felt it the first time I walked through the door into the band room, something that I'd never experienced in, in brass bands before. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'm painting a picture to you of what it means to me to have the position as the leader of that band, a very, very privileged position. And I, you know, I wake up every morning really determined to make the absolute most I can of it. So there's still plenty more to come. Clearly a lot happens in almost nine years. How do you think the band or the organisation has changed since May or June 2012? You were taking over what was already a successful band, one which had done very well under Bob Child. Yeah, I mean, I, that, that's right. And lots of people uh, at the time I was uh, I was offered the job uh, were telling me it was a poison chalice and the band was already the best and there was only one way it was, it was going to go. But fortunately, uh, you know, I could see beyond that and took the job anyway. I mean, I, I don't know, really. I think everyone does something in their own way, don't they? So I guess that's been one of my biggest joys is being able to bring my own kind of approach and my own skills and experience to the table and, and have them accepted at Corey uh, and, and have them work pretty well. I mean, there's a good chemistry between myself and and the band. Um, one of the big um, achievements, I think, over my eight years with the band has, has not been the kind of more obvious contest wins and, you know, all the rest of that. It's my involvement in the organisation of the band behind the scenes. Because, as I said, when I first went to the band in May 2012, the band was sponsored to a, to a, to a very large extent, I have to say. Um, but that's, that soon vanished, unfortunately. 
And so since then, we've really had to kind of reinvent ourselves as a self-supporting organization, just like most of the other bands that, um, you, you know, are exist in existence across the world. And that has that has had to see a real kind of sea change in the approach to things like concert giving, for example. I mean, Corey did a lot of concerts before that were mainly kind of booked by promoters, whereas we have had to kind of really instigate uh, a culture of self-promoting concerts and not only self-promoting concerts but it's important that we self-promote concerts and then get full audiences as well um just for the band's financial survival really um you know there's a really strong support team uh, at Corey Band with Neil Blockley the commercial manager and um really strong um trustees in the background as well uh and so working together with them to kind of refashion the Corey band into this self-supporting organization has been something which I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of really, because without doing that work, uh, I don't think Corey band could have, could have survived much longer. It costs a lot of money to run a, a top flight brass band. And so you, you need to find that money from somewhere. So uh, I guess that's one of the biggest changes. Anyone who's seen Corey in concert under your baton, at least when concerts were allowed to happen, will have seen efforts to engage with the audience in different ways, embracing technology, using social media to gain instant responses and build a rapport that way. Is that something you'll be looking to build on when you can return to those activities? Yeah, definitely, because engagement is the word and that's you know a lot of people if you stop the man or woman on the street and said what do you think of brass bands they will come up with a big long list of kind of outdated stereotypes you know it's a it's something from the victorian era or it's what it's the music that miners uh, play and it's all to do with uh, you know industry and stuff like that and that, and as as you and i know that's not the case here in the 21st century so i think we need to work really hard to kind of get our message out there so we do yeah, at all our live concerts, we always do um, some social media interaction. We encourage people to get involved with the band during the interval. For example, we always do um, a little session in the second half where I read out some some comments from social media and interact in that way. The other thing that I like to do in concerts as well is actually present individual personalities from the band. Um, on the top level, this means whenever we stand up a soloist to play, um, then you, you know, I'll mention something about the soloist, but it's not just the soloist, you see. That's what I like to try and um, just give an idea of, the again, the human side, really. I think that's an easy way of making a connection, isn't it, to show that, you know, the band is not just the Corey band, but it's 30 individual people. Uh, and that, I think, is a way that you can connect quite intimately with uh with an audience as well so that's another thing that we uh that we always we always try and incorporate and i'm sure you know we'll come up with some new and innovative ways of doing that once we get back to concert giving from the concerts to the contests the festivals the collaborations are you able to pick out one or two standout musical moments with Corey so far moments that might be forever etched on your mind that's uh that is a good question it's what i'm asked quite a lot and it's one I always struggle to answer and and the reason for that is that they're just I mean I know it's a cliche but there are just so many so many highlights and for me I mean highlights can come at any time really uh, whether it's a fantastic contest performance which turns out to turns out to be the winner right down to you know little moments in rehearsal really where something you've been trying to fix for weeks suddenly falls into place I mean I guess it's a bit of a boring answer but you're going to want something more specific from me aren't you I, I think that if you wanted if you wanted me to try and narrow down to one moment I would have to take you back to 2015 uh, and the national finals that year where the test piece was Spirity by Thomas Doss and uh, it was a piece that really connected with the band and um, I, I found it an irresistible piece really it had a really strong story um, through from beginning to end and some really sort of brilliant kind of musical moments which which I was kind of inspired um, to, to, to produce a real sort of performance from beginning to end of and um, I knew that it was going really well the week before the contest and uh, I remember saying to my wife, actually, probably on the Monday or Tuesday before the contest, and I said to her, look, don't tell anyone, but I, re I really think we're in with a chance of winning this weekend. And I, and I would never, ever usually say something 
as bold as that really so it, it must there must have been something special happening for me to actually have voiced voiced that opinion although I'd never have voiced it to anyone apart from my wife uh, especially, especially not to uh, other band members but um, something was something was brewing and we got to the contest on the weekend on the Saturday and it's the Royal Albert Hall which of course always has this for me anyway this really magical atmosphere to be in that venue we are a great draw and the band just pulled a performance out of the bag which was absolutely just brought the hairs up onto the back of my neck virtually from the first second to the last second of the performance it was something really really special you know i will i will never forget that performance ah we've managed to tease one out of you (laughs) well done (laughs) yes and i was there at the royal albert hall i firmly remember that wonderful performance as well i know somebody else who was blown away when he heard the band was martin brabins the esteemed conductor. He said so on this podcast. Now, I think that was only in a rehearsal situation, and I know that Martin does have roots in the brass band world, but how encouraged are you when you receive such feedback from someone of his prominence and standing in the wider musical world? Yeah, we've got a good relationship with Martin. In fact, I have personally, because he he just lives down the road from me here. So, you know, we're often round each other's house for a cup of tea or what have you, just to kind of chew the cud and um yeah the connection with the band really came via john pickard who's the professor of composition at the university of bristol where we've we've been doing regular concerts uh, on an annual basis for the last few years and i myself am a graduate of the university of bristol so um I, so i know john pretty well too uh and so um martin was a sort of a mutual friend of, of john and i but you're right he uh, martin is of course this international superstar in the world of classical music, a uh, great in-demand conductor, but he started as a euphonium player with a toaster band. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's always had a soft spot in his heart for brass bands. He's been, he has been to a couple of Corey rehearsals. And in fact, he was due to conduct Corey in um, a part of a concert at the University of Bristol once, which unfortunately didn't happen because he was he was called up to conduct the Marla 9 or something when uh, another conductor kind of went sick. That never happened, but that that uh, is pending in our diary to, to make sure that we uh, uh, we make that happen. So it's yeah, it's great to have an association um, with uh, with Martin, and we've got a few projects yeah lined up, um, which uh, Martin is involved with Corey Band coming up in the future. Well, we really look forward to seeing and hearing how those take shape. Philip, as we approach the final moments of our conversation today, let's dare to look to that point where you and your band are given the green light to get back to it. We know Corey is at the pinnacle of all things banding, but are you able to say how you see that resumption taking shape? Will the aim be for players to be working hard at home to get into great shape so you can pick up your momentum straight away? I guess it does depend on just exactly when it is and what the diary is going to look like. I would say it's at the moment it's impossible to make any set plans. But having said that, we've made we've made some hypothetical plans. I tried to use my crystal ball to predict what might happen and I've given the band its own roadmap back to rehearsals through through several different stages. And so we're working our way through those at the moment and of course one of the things which um, was important to Corey Band before the pandemic was that we required full commitment from every member and everything we've done online we have made kind of voluntary for band members. I'm you know pleased to say that the vast majority of our band have engaged with those but we need to be obviously moving back to a situation where we're putting on things wh- where attendance is compulsory again. Yeah I've been setting out the road to that for some months actually with the band. You use the phrase the green light I mean I think that, that's it really. We're waiting for a series of green lights aren't we the first one will be you can get back together and rehearse maybe in small groups so our band room is um covid safe now and we'd be ready to do that possibly we could get back together as a full band outside so we're looking at at a few sites that will enable us to do that weather permitting of course (laughs) uh um, and then you know the next stage after that we'll be getting the band back together as a full band inside, probably socially distanced. So we'll need to go somewhere other than our band room for that. At which point we hope to start putting on concerts uh, again, possibly without an audience to begin with. But, you know, hopefully by the time we're through sort of mid-summer, we, we should, 
I hope, be back in the swing with that. And if the British Open goes ahead in September, uh, then there's no doubt about it that Corey Band will be there with bells on. And uh, hopefully we will have gained our momentum by then and we can put in a spirited defence of our title. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you to Philip Harper, and thanks to you for listening. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. That includes access to BB's exclusive Masterclass series, with recent contributions coming from the likes of Richard Marshall, Tom Hutchinson, Stephen Mead, Brett Baker and Kirsty Abbotts. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.